You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life, with your host, Kim Olver. Hi, this is Kim, and welcome to the 17th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. Today, I want to talk with you about maintaining focus and balance during coronavirus. I have an account on Quora, and I have been getting tons of questions about how to motivate yourself and stay focused during this period of sheltering in place. I admit, I struggled with the same thing the first two weeks. I couldn't stop listening to the 24-7 news about the pandemic. I got caught up in the panic of it. I had trouble sleeping, and I forgot about staying focused. I couldn't even get focused in order to stay focused. What was I supposed to focus on? Life had turned upside down. For that initial period of two weeks, I forgot everything I know about choice theory. After feeling a bit terrified for two weeks, I started to remember choice theory. Choice theory instructs that when you're experiencing an emotion you would rather not have, you need to examine the thoughts and behaviors that are aligning with those painful feelings and change them into something better. My behavior was clearly watching the news. All the usual tasks I occupy myself with, traveling, speaking, and the preparation for those things wasn't happening. Suddenly, nothing was professionally pressing except my weekly podcast and blog. I don't remember the last time I could say that. There was always something pressing. Now I had nothing but time. I had come to Florida to visit my mother during the month of March and was worrying I might not be able to get back to Chicago. I was concerned about finances. I was worrying about loved ones with essential jobs and the families they were returning home to every night. After a brief time, I knew real people infected with COVID-19. They were no longer just statistics I was hearing, but real people I knew. Then I learned of the death of one of my friend's fathers. It was becoming all too real. Once I realized the actions and thoughts that were creating my panic, I started to deliberately think about things that were comforting and doing things I had control over. I'm no longer in control of my finances, but I was grateful that Congress worked together to create financial programs I could apply for to ease the financial strain of the coronavirus. I had a task to do, get everything in order to apply for those programs. I was back in the driver's seat. Instead of being panicked, I couldn't get back to Chicago. I started to enumerate the benefits of staying with my mother. She wouldn't be alone. I wouldn't be alone. I could help her run errands. We could keep each other company. I haven't lived with my mother since I was 17, and there's a good reason for that. Every time we did something together for an extended period of time, we would begin to annoy one another. We have deep love for each other, but are not compatible for cohabitation in many ways. Instead of focusing on our differences, I began to look at all the kind things my mother does. I realized this time with her is a true gift. My mother is 80 years old. She'd kill me if she knew I was saying that out loud to an audience. But she's in excellent shape, both physically and mentally. But that could suddenly change at any time. It could suddenly change for me, too. Instead of going on in oblivion, thinking she'll always be there, I'm spending this time thinking it's a beautiful time to get to know her and maybe understand her better. Amazingly, she has stopped annoying me. Now I'm left contemplating if the difficulty in our relationship was being caused by how I looked at her. Change the way you look at things and those things will change, so taught my mentor Wayne Dyer. 
It was disturbing to think of my financial situation with all my speaking and training events being canceled. My income has been greatly affected. I could focus on that, or I could focus on the fact that most of what I was doing wasn't technically canceled, but rather it was postponed. I will still be able to recoup those finances, I believe, at this point. Additionally, I realized while my work isn't pressing, I've had several long-term projects on the back burner that could be moved up to the front. It also occurred to me that while I'm not a nurse or a doctor, I am a counselor, coach, and speaker who can help people during this time with their mental and emotional needs for free. I wouldn't try to profit from this disaster, but I can do group coaching to help others who are struggling. I was in the same dark tunnel, but I came out the other side. I found the light, and it wasn't a train. It was the sunshine. I now have a responsibility to reach behind me and pull as many people out of that tunnel as I can. That's what I can do to help. I find whenever I start to feel sorry for myself is the perfect time to take inventory of what I have to offer and go offer what I can to others who may need it. In that vein, I have two new programs I'm offering complimentary. One is a group that meets on Zoom every Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, and 1900 UTC for anyone struggling with the mental and emotional toil of coronavirus. If we get enough volunteers, we might start other groups at different times. I also have a group on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and 0000 midnight UTC called Support for the Supporters. Counselors, psychologists, doctors, nurses, caregivers, anyone who's struggling with the mental and emotional strain of working in the trenches, supporting others during this time. You may not be a counselor with skills to help others in mental and emotional distress, but I know there are things you are capable of doing to help others during this time. Think about how you can volunteer and what things you would be willing to do, and then do them. It's an excellent substitute for watching the 24-7 news. All the news is doing now is helping you feel worse by focusing on the shortages, the deaths, the spread of this disease, and its devastating economic consequences. It's rare you hear about the people who have recovered, those who had COVID-19 and experienced little to no symptoms. We hear conflicting reports from the White House and CDC. Who are we supposed to believe? No one really knows since this is a novel virus. You need to do what you can to protect yourself and those around you. Worrying about my loved ones deemed essential or living with someone still working is a waste of valuable time and energy. Yes, they are at risk. It's terrible, and I wish it weren't true. But the people I love who are essential are working because they want to help others or because they want to support their family. Both reasons are things I understand and admire. I need to be proud of them instead of harping on them about the danger they are in or how they're putting their families at risk and causing them undue stress. Instead of worrying, which is completely non-productive, I now focus on what I can control. I can tell them how proud I am of them for their bravery and taking precautions to protect their families. As for the ability to focus, I used two important steps. First, I decided to do some time blocking. I started with a to-do list, all the things I want to accomplish in the next few months. I then created a weekly calendar. I included all the weekly things I have, appointments with clients, groups I run, and the work I need to do with my weekly blog and podcast. Then I fill in the other time with the things from my to-do list that I want to accomplish. 
The second thing I do is I'm sure to schedule myself with time to be out of sorts because I am out of sorts sometimes. Despite my vow to only watch 30 minutes of news daily, occasionally I get carried away with it. Also, my mother needs me to run errands sometimes and I want to be available to do that so she doesn't get frustrated and run out and do it herself. Some of you may already know I did a number on my finger last week, so it's in a splint and I need to go to physical therapy three times a week. This takes a chunk of time as well. I work to accomplish the things in the day that I've scheduled them. I don't want to fall behind, but I'm also not applying a ton of pressure by overscheduling myself in a day. I find balance is the key for me, and maybe it is for you too. I also want to talk about the focus on work-life balance. Right now, during our forced coronavirus shelter-in-place orders, it's impossible for most of us to get our needs met the way we used to. See episode 5 on coronavirus and how to get your needs met for more information about that. We have to find new ways to meet our needs in this challenging climate. Prior to COVID-19, there was a lot of talk about work-life balance. I believe it's such an elusive concept because work is a part of life. How do you balance that? Also, where's the balance point for everyone? It can't possibly be in the same place. Work-life balance to me is an illusion. Work is part of life, and if a person has a high significance need, then they will likely want to spend more time at work. If a person has a high connection need, they will want more time for their personal life. Of course, it's possible that a person can get all their needs met at home or at work, but more people get connection met at home and significance at work. It really doesn't matter where you get your needs met, as long as they're met in a responsible way. People feel satisfied, content, and happy when they're getting the perfect amount of each need that their genetic instructions call for. During the quarantine, the two needs that were most frustrated for me were connection and freedom. These just happened to be my highest needs. It wasn't until I figured out ways to meet those needs within the quarantine situation that I began to feel less panicked. There's more about that in episode 15 as well. In everyday life, people need to have the proper amount of each of their needs to feel satisfied. You don't want to have too much or too little. This is a much better measurement than work-life balance, since that is a different look for everyone. If I have a lot of connection and freedom, a moderately high amount of significance, and just a small amount of joy and safety and security, I'm happy. If I end up with too much safety and security, I probably won't have enough freedom. Too much joy can impinge upon my need for significance. And if I don't have enough connection and freedom, I am unhappy and miserable. If you want to find out what your need strengths are, visit www.therelationshipcenter, spelled the American way, C-E-N-T-E-R dot biz. That's B as in boy, I as in India, Z as in zebra, forward slash resources. And take the assessments listed as connection, freedom, joy, significance, and survival on the left-hand side. This will give you a sense of what your high needs are so you can recognize when you're not feeling great and have a clue of what could be wrong. If you can identify which of your needs is being frustrated, you can consciously develop a plan to get more of what you need in your life. It's more productive to put your energy into balancing your needs than putting your energy on balancing work and life. Ask yourself the following questions. How are you feeling about the day in front of you? 
If you feel good, great. If not, let's take a needs inventory. Are you feeling safe and secure? Do you have the connections you need with the important people in your life? Are you feeling significant? Are you feeling like you have enough freedom? Are you having any joy in your life? If the answer is yes to all those questions, then you're ready for your day. If your answer is no, look at the ways you have available to get that need met. If the usual ways to get a particular need met have been compromised, then you need to seek out other ways. You may not be able to go in the nursing home to see your parent, but you might be able to go to the window and talk with them through the glass. You may not be able to go to the gym, but you could convert your living room to a home gym and use some of the free programs on the internet offering exercises, yoga, and dance. When you're deciding on new behaviors, you want to consider whether it's easier for you to think your way into a new behavior by adopting a new mindset or new thoughts, or is it more effective for you to do your way into a new behavior by faking it till you make it? As you consider a new behavior, you want to consider if it's responsible. Biologically, when a need has been frustrated, all it instructs you to do is get it met. It doesn't consider whether you're being responsible. Having an effective way to meet your needs just means you're getting it met. It doesn't mean you're being responsible. Responsible means you're meeting your need without preventing others from meeting theirs. Most people don't set out to be the person who keeps other people from meeting their needs. It generally happens because the person has an effective way to meet their need, and as long as it works, they want to use it because they haven't yet found a better way. Choice theory tells us that every person is doing the best they can to get what they want in any given situation with the information they have available to them. No one sets out to be irresponsible and frustrates others meeting their needs, but if it's the only way available to them, they will choose it. Don't let that be you. Consider the new behaviors you are thinking about and run them through your responsibility filter first. Next, you'll want to determine if you are choosing short-term, immediate behaviors that could jeopardize a long-term goal. In your hurry to meet your need, you will sometimes choose a behavior that jeopardizes a long-term goal. For example, a person who's been on a diet and frustrating their freedom need may one day need freedom so badly that they'll eat a hot fudge sundae. Or during this coronavirus, they threw their diet out the window in favor of stress eating to help them feel better. This is not a responsible behavior either, because while it's effective and will meet the freedom need in the short run, in the long term, it will keep you from meeting your safety and security and significance needs by gaining control of your health and weight. You aren't keeping anyone else from meeting their needs, but you are keeping yourself from meeting needs in the long run. In summary, these are the steps to creating the mood and emotions you want. It will help you stay focused and balanced during this quarantine time. Number one, notice when you're out of balance or feeling out of sorts. Two, inventory your needs to see which one or ones are deficit. Three, peruse the behaviors available to you to get more of what you need. Four, if there's nothing familiar, see if you can create a new need-meeting behavior. Five, decide on the behavior you will try. Six, ask, is it responsible? If not, keep looking for something responsible. Seven, ask, is this just a quick fix, compromising what I really want later? 
If yes, find something that supports or at least doesn't compromise your long-term goals. 8. Engage in the behavior designed to get you what you need in a responsible way that doesn't compromise your more important future desires. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll join us next week for a podcast talking about why people choose misery. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.